You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Pride of Detroit podcast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. It's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. That's right. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park. Each two ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein and each stick has eight grams of protein. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions, it's going to be good enough for you too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced all natural black Angus beef and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offerings. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. That's promo code POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, PrideDetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook Live, on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. We say it every week. You know how to find us. Coming to you now after a little bit delayed, coming to you. We took a Memorial Day for ourselves. We don't usually in our industry get to do uh, holidays. I only had yesterday off because I had been working about seven, eight days straight at my other job. And now, but we decided to what? What, what are you pointing to? Oh, check, you, checking uh, off a bingo spot. I didn't say who it was. <laughs> I didn't say who it was. You are not allowed to do that. Uh, that's Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader at Detroit Online, once again, trying to get under my skin right away. Um, don't worry. He will mention he will mention his bingo card very soon, I'm sure. And I am Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter, multimedia editor and whatever title we decide to come up with me up with for me at some point. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about OTAs. We're a little on empty with news articles here, just because we're coming down, Jeremy, to that point in the offseason where it's uh, we're going to start talking more about the upcoming season in the coming months and start talking about some theoreticals and maybe some look backs on the past season. But uh, yeah, but I know got, you we, love you love OTAs, though. I you do love, love OTAs. And we got kind of a, you know, a press conference dump on on Thursday. We'll get another one this mm-hmm. Thursday with a bunch of new players and coaches and stuff like that. So we got some, we got some stuff we to talk stuff. about. We, we Don't got downplay our, I'm not, we, I'm not downplaying this one. I'm just letting people know it's off season mode. <laughs> we go off the reservation sometimes and somewhere way off the reservation, gun in his hand, stick in his mouth, shades on, really making this sound like Breaking Bad. Ryan Matthews. Back is the mother- at Ryan underscore P-O-D, senior editor. Ryan, I was originally going to tee this up as like talking about being, getting a ruling on the bingo cards, but I guess now I've made you into a Mad Max character. 
I love the characterization. It'll it'll get me far. I, I think my only advice to you, Chris, is you cannot wait for the title to come to you. You have to go take the title yourself. I created senior editor as my title. You I did? didn't run it by Jeremy. I did not know I didn't that. run okay. it by Eric. I just put it in my bio and <laughs> so we're just, Jeremy we're just... just started calling it. So yeah. it's just anarchy. It's just anarchy. It's there's it's like it's like kind of the late Roman Empire where just people guys just name themselves emperor at any point, no matter where they are. Either that or you kind of just like write, you know, like in the movies, you you write your offer on a little piece of scratch paper and you slide it across the desk and they look at it, you know. So I just, you know, I was calling Jeremy's bluff, you know, senior editor well, no. wrote it on a well, piece of paper thing. and slid it across. Unlike emperor. Senior editor doesn't come with any extra perks. It's just a title. So basically, you uh, slide late, the late Roman me. I slide it back to you without looking and be like, "Sure, go for it." I was going to say, late <laughs> Roman Empire, late Roman Empire emperors also didn't really have a lot of stuff that came with it. A lot of rule by Goths. Talk and generally, let's see a transition out of this one. I'm sorry, I've been listening way too much to a uh, Fall of the Roman Empire podcast. Shout out Patrick Wyman, his podcast is fantastic. But from the Fall of the Roman Empire to the rise of the Lions Empire, and you know what they what 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 they fed gladiators and Christians to? That's right, lions. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. And uh, speaking of someone who's being fed to the lions as well. Jameson Williams once again had to meet with the media before OTAs. And um, we t- I think we talked about this a little bit last time, Jeremy, but uh, did we, or was this, that this after? Is, no, this is, this is. Okay. Okay. I have my timeline Thursday, completely so wrong. My, first, my time, yes. first time he's talked since the suspension. I, I think I know why I got screwed up, but to say why would be a bingo card. So Jameson Williams, by the way, speaking of that bingo card, I did get some other national guy to call Pride Detroit the number one Lions podcast on national radio. Beautiful. We're going to get a compilation of those together soon enough. <laughs> um, Jamison Williams did meet with the Detroit press here. This clip did make national news as well for people. And he said straight up that he did not know the NFL's gambling rules. In specific, we have to be very specific about this. What Jamison Williams fell afoul of wasn't the very clear do not gamble on the NFL rule that has always been in there that C.J. Moore and Quintus Cephas ran afoul of. The rule he is speaking of, he didn't know the rule that you couldn't gamble on other sports at team facilities, team events, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, you can't gamble while on the clock, which in the NFL is almost always. So... That's where we are. I've heard a lot of people in the national media call BS on that and say NFL players should know not to gamble ever. But I don't think anyone is really discounting this, Jeremy. I think there has been this undercurrent that, yeah, we believe him. He didn't know the rules. Judgment thus comes from there, whether you think Jamison Williams is stupid by not knowing the rules or whatever else you want to pass on him. I I, I have some thoughts on this, but I, I pass it over to you because – I don't feel like anyone is discounting. No one's saying they don't believe Jamison Williams. They're just wondering what you take out of him saying that he didn't know the gambling rules. Well, yeah, I think I think the major takeaway, and, and this is confounded by the fact, compounded, I should say, not confounded, compounded by the fact that now a fifth member of the 2022 team is being investigated. Uh, there was a major breakdown in communication here. And I it, it's unfortunate for Jamison Williams that he's the only one that has to face the music, right? Two guys got cut. Well, three guys got cut. Stanley Berryhill well, got cut yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit later. 
we're never going to hear from them. At least they're never going to have to stand in front of, you know, 30 members of the media aggressively holding their iPhones to people's faces. Um, several members of the line staff. We can't forget about that. Some non-athletes that never have to face the music. They've been let go because they broke they broke NFL policy. Um, so, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not it's still obviously James and Williams responsibility as it was everyone else's. But when the list is this long. You got to blame the the person who was communicating, whether that's the NFL, which say it says they have these composium composiums where they're they're very clear with the rules, and there's a different message for the players and the employees and all this stuff, and they're very clear. To Dan Campbell, who said they've had conversations about that and will continue to have conversations about that, all of them are kind of to blame here. And I do I do believe Jameson Williams when he says he doesn't know he didn't know that he was breaking a rule. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating but understandable that he won't go into details what he did he says he either doesn't remember it's been a long time or you know what or, or i'm i'm guessing he got coached into saying there's nothing to be gained by telling you telling the people what you did so he's not telling um but yeah like i i just i think this really pushes the fact that like this was not communicated well by people in the lions organization by people in the nfl organization um We'll see if this second wave of investigations also include some other teams to maybe prove that this wasn't just a Lions issue. I think we all agree that this is probably happening beyond the Lions organization. They're just not being investigated right now or whatever. But um, yeah, to me, the biggest takeaway for, from hearing Jameson talk about the the suspension is that this was just not communicated well. Yeah, and I think my biggest takeaway from listening to JMO talk is that I think he has the right attitude in terms of how he's going to move on from this. You know, he he said, you know, that he his reaction to it was, you know, he, he said he was sick, he was hurt, um, didn't really see it coming. How you know it, it kind of came out of the blue, and th- that kind of speaks to to what you're talking about, Jeremy, in terms of the breakdown of communication of of the rules and maybe the policies to uh, to the players. But I do really like his attitude and his perspective on. You know, I'm in the league to play football and I'm looking forward to better days. And I, I think for a player who's young like that, you you hope to hear those things. And I'm not trying to compare the situations one to one, but I I do do you think that Jameson's comments, do you think that they rub people the wrong way because it seemed like it was being characterized as ignorance? on his part of the rules. Like yeah. you think that that was the, the, the beef that a lot of people maybe had with the comments that he made. Some people I think had, had an issue with that. I think, I think some people think that's not taking responsibility for his actions, um, which may or may not be true. Um, but he's also, he also said several times, like, listen, I'm, I'm taking it on the chin. Like I'm not, I'm not appealing this. I don't, there's still a question as to whether it, it is appealable or not, but I, I mean, what does taking responsibility mean? Does it does it mean saying I knowingly did this on purpose and and made a mistake or is it I made a mistake? I didn't know I was making a mistake, but I made a mistake, which is essentially what he said to me. That's taking responsibility. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I, true. I it's, it's responsibility in this case, I feel like means like he's going to serve the suspension. Right. That's that's how I read that. He's taking responsibility. You, you did something. And yeah, ignorance is an is an excuse. But I do think. I think we can say it's not an excuse and he did something wrong, but at the same time, we can also say the NFL has clearly failed in this policy on how many people have been. And I don't think they're done either. They announced that they were still continuing this 
obviously the fifth member of the of the Lions, but they also made it seem vague enough that they were going to be investing. It sounds like there might be other teams that fall under this too. Remember that a uh, between last year with Calvin Ridley betting on the NFL and then the uh, the 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 Commanders player who is also betting on the NFL. It's clear that they have not communicated well enough this policy with the patchwork of legal state betting, including how easy it is to gamble on the phones. And again, it's not an excuse for for Jamison Williams, but it is means that it is now incredibly muddled. And every time I hear a former player saying there's no excuse to be gambling, period, they're not talking about this new age where you are allowed NFL players allowed to gamble on other sports they're legal to gamble on other sports. Just, oh, yeah, by the way, just not at, you know, this place, this place, this place, this place, and this place, and this place. That's very different than a blanket don't ever gamble, period, right. or the blanket don't gamble on the NFL, period. It's a and different it's also, age. It's a lot easier to throw stones when you can just like, I can make a game. I can make a bet right now while I'm talking yeah. very simply because it's not only legal here in Michigan, but an app can make it so I can do it in seconds. So uh, you don't have to call up your bookie like you did it back in the day. So it's very yeah. easy to throw stones when we're dealing with a very new issue here. Right. And it's it's even more fascinating that I think the books also gave up the players as well. Thanks to geolocation. I've seen some people even arguing, saying if the books can tell where you are and how you're geolocating, yes. like why not yes. just lock the app? I've heard some people say just just lock the app from players when they are in places. I guess I guess the pushback to that is, are they still technically NFL employees if they're, say, in a, in a hotel somewhere on the road? But at least you can geolock it at like Allen Park. Right. And by 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 rule, like it is not legal for you to do it in a hotel. It's not illegal for you to do it on a team bus. That might be a little bit harder to trick to right. track on the app, but but um, yeah, like facilities, sure. Yes. Board field might be a little harder because you don't want to cut out all the fans who want to put in their parlays because right. you've got an official sponsor there, and it would be a bad look if MGM if MGM pays for the luxury suites and then you can't gamble on the Bet MGM app while in Ford Field. I know Ryan hasn't had that thought before. I think it would be really easy for the team to just say, hey, as a member of the Detroit Lions, you're going to self-exclude yourself on the app and that will lock you out of making bets. And I think that that's the easiest way to do it, because, you know, when you should be gambling when you're at the casino. And I think that's the line that the NFL is trying to draw. And if that's what it's going to be, the easiest way to, you know, know that your players are. Uh, that they are adhering to that policy is to not even give them the opportunity. You yeah, know what I mean? Just, it, but I think the thing with the phone is it's the immediacy of it. It was, oh, there's NBA games tonight. I'm not going to be able to hit the casino because I'm doing rehab. Let me get in this quick three-way parlay. But that's just how casual placing bets has become right. because of apps. Yep. And that's like, we use the term disruption a lot. The gambling industry has completely disrupted our culture on how we see gambling, both from a moral sense. Nobody thinks it's a sin anymore. It's completely out in the open. If you think it's a sin, you're just kind of a nut bar. And at the same time, like the amount, like just where you're able to do it, the fact that you don't need to hide it all to do it. It's 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 completely it's completely overnight changed everything. But we should probably move off this and talk about the next gamble the Lions are making as now. There is a three-way for kicker, and I know Jeremy is very excited to talk about this. The Lions traded a a conditional seventh-round pick to bring back. You want to do it, Ryan, or should I make Jeremy do it? (laughs) Just saying Riley Patterson? Riley! 
Riley. He wasn't talking about that, Riley. No, I know, but we still got to we still got to do that. We were doing okay. that all the time. Riley Patterson is back. The loser from last season's uh, off-season kickout battle, Jeremy, who yeah. then went on to the Jaguars and performed very admirably. Sure. What do you make of this with the return of Riley Patterson? I, I do. The, the most interesting thing about it to me is that they are riding with three, and I imagine that's not going to last forever. Uh, maybe maybe that's just going through OTAs. You might as well try three kickers and then drop down to two for training camp. But I, I mean, like, listen, there there was a large subset of fans that were very upset that that Austin Seibert won the training camp battle between him and Riley Patterson last year. And I will maintain that was the right decision at the time. If you like, I understand. I think Riley didn't miss a, a preseason kick or whatever it was. And everything that, that the fans saw looked like either Patterson was at least as good or better. I was there every day at training camp. Austin Seibert won that battle. He just did. Uh, so the Lions made the most educated decision they could have made at the time. And Patterson went on to have a good season. And it is a little surprising that the the Jaguars kicked him to the curb so suddenly when McManus came available. I, I do kind of wish the Lions would have gone after McManus instead. But listen, once they learned that Riley Patterson was available, I have absolutely no problem trading a 2026 seventh round conditional pick for anybody. If you learn that a guy is going to get released and you're like, well, we're 18th on the, uh, on the waiver uh, wire list, but we want this guy. All right, let's give, let's throw the team the least possible draft compensation we can. Cause we like him or we want to try him out. There's, I mean, there is no downside to this move at all. And so, yeah, bring in a little bit of competition because I'm not confident really in, in any of the guys. I still think they're missing a a long footed I was gonna say long armed but I guess it's a long footed uh kicker <laughs> uh, and maybe John Parker Moromo is that guy he, he does as uh pointed by by Eric have the longest field goal ever made at whatever they're calling the Seahawks Stadium uh due to his XFL career um so we'll see um I, this doesn't move that's the needle Lumen, for me Lumen way. field it, now by the way the Lumen field that's right uh it's a quirky story uh I have no I have no strong feelings either way I Anyone who's upset about this is is kidding themselves because there's no risk. Uh, but any anyone like super excited about Riley Patterson is also probably kidding themselves a little bit. I, you know what? As soon as the Lions made this move, it was just another. I felt like it was just another thing to feel good about as a Lions fan. Hmm. And the reason why is because if we're getting all worked up about a kicker battle. <laughs> man if we can if we can put three kickers on a roster the lions are in a good spot because they're clearly not worried about oh man we gotta like every single position we need as much depth as possible like they have their guys like their yeah. roster is pretty set they can do things like afford them the opportunity to get a third kicker in otas <laughs> and have a kicker battle and and like you said jeremy i and chris said this as well Patterson kicked pretty well last year, you know, 14 mm -hmm. of 18 uh, on kicks from 40 yards and out and, and two of three on, on 50 yard field goals. So in really good accuracy, I mean, as far as, you know, 86.8 uh, over, over the course of the season and he only missed one extra point. Um, may the best man win. Yeah. I don't think anyone really has an edge here. Like Badgley was going to have a little bit just because he's, you know, he was with the roster last year, but clearly 
up and down. John Parker Romo's coming in with uh, probably the most applicable experience being an, one of the best XFL special teamers. And Riley Patterson had a very good year in the NFL last year. I mean, a, a decent year in, in the NFL, in the NFL itself last year. Each one comes with its own, and it's just going to be a matter of who has them. Like, this is what we were talking about last year with Cybert and Patterson, though, right, Jeremy? Like, it's less about who has the longer leg and who's more consistent. Right. Cybert won it on that regard, but I think Riley, as the year went on for the Jaguars, got more consistent, combined that with the better leg, and that's, you know, you just hope he keeps his consistency going into another year, and maybe you could see that back with the Lions. Yep. <laughs> I know this is about as far as we can make Jeremy do do kicker talk. I just want to let people know I didn't write this down in the rundown. Jeremy did. Jeremy I did. Listen, Jeremy we, uh, su- subjected himself to kicker talk. As Ryan said, like everything else is settled at this point. What I mean, this is this is the only like we we, we could talk about long snapper battle, but I'm sure as hell not going to do that. Well, we could talk about wide receiver. We could talk about wide receiver. Do you want to talk wanna... about a wide receiver? Well, do you want to talk about a wide receiver who could maybe replace that wide receiver? This this was ordered very funny. I just realized we could have probably done that. Bad job by me. I thought I've been doing great transitions, and now I realize, oh, we could have gone from receiver to receiver rather than straight to a kicker. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is free. Ryan? How would yes, you feel Chris. about Nuck? Like, a lot of... I, I don't have all the Vegas rankings up in front of me. I think... In the in the in the overall picture, there's him as a free agent means that there's teams that are probably more attractive to him. If his goal is to win right now, he could go to the you know to the Bills, who after their top one or two receivers are not really that deep at all. To be honest, uh, he could go anywhere. Lions do feel like a could they be enough of a of a of a landing spot. And do the Lions have the money? Would you like to see the money from the Lions go to DeAndre Hopkins if he if the interest is reciprocated to Detroit? I think something that would be more benefiting to the Lions because they've caught enough flack and enough hell from quite a few people about the decisions that they've made in the offseason, especially when it comes to the draft, right? Like they made a lot of perceived win now moves by, you know, drafting positions of of lower value with like running back and and linebacker. And I, I view the money that they could use on Deandre Hawkins as a way to maybe solidify positions of, um, you know, maybe more meaning moving forward, especially when you have a player like Jameson Williams, who will be back after, after six games, Um, use that money to extend Jonah. Now, you know what I mean? Like, make some extensions happen. Like if you want to spend that money wisely, I trust me, you won't find a bigger fan of Deandre Hopkins. Like this is a guy that I was talking about for years on our list cast rankings as you know, if he's, if he's not the best receiver, he's the second best receiver. And I get it. He's a little bit longer in the tooth. He's a veteran now. And, you know, I, I read the Albert Breer piece. Not a lot of things shocked me. Yeah. Truth be told, like I, I wasn't shocked to find out that a receiver north of 30 doesn't like to practice. You know, uh, I, I wasn't shocked to find out that he was a guy who didn't practice a lot with the Texans because his body was taking an absolute beating because he had the likes of Ryan Mallett. And God, I already want to go back down memory lane and think about all the awful Houston Texans quarterbacks that were throwing him balls that were getting him 
you know, annihilated. I think that he's going to cost a lot. Like that's what he, like Nuck wants to get paid. Yep. And, and I just don't know if the lions are in a position to, to spend that kind of money because it seems a little bit too free wheeling and dealing. And I get it. The lions are, you know, the lions are in, in a mode right now where it's win. Like let's win now. I was going to bring up those exact words going to Jeremy because Jeremy and I had that debate before we logged on about this kind of term. I've seen Lions fans throw around about it's win now mode. And I think that's, it's a loaded term just because I think we immediately jumped the idea of say what the Rams did, where they just sold all out to go all in. I think going after Hopkins, especially on the fact that like Jameson Williams is going to mix six games. Yes, but it's not like he's off the roster. And unlike some Lions fans, I do not believe that he is completely a bust either. That seems also kind of an overreaction. So I, I feel like the the desire to get Hopkins from fans is the desire to replace Williams. He's a known commodity, but I also think I don't I think the Lions can be in a win now mode without going after DeAndre Hopkins. And again, practically, I don't think. Detroit is one of those top landing points that Hopkins would want to go to either, Jeremy. I don't, yeah, it, it's tough to say because I, I do think Ryan is, is right when he says money is going to talk here. And that that might exclude some of his top options, right? Like the Bills and the Chiefs are, are kind of two of the teams that are circled as teams that want want Hopkins. Like they're, they're, got, they're teams that talked to um, the the Texans about about a trade, but couldn't work out the the numbers because his, his contract was too big. Yeah, they don't like Bills have no cap space yeah. whatsoever right now. Both both of them are are very cap strapped. So if if they can't work out, you know, a a deal with you know four void years or whatever they want to do, um, the Lions obviously have the cap space. That's that's the one thing working in their favor. And if they really want DeAndre Hopkins, I think they could probably get him. I, I do. I think they could throw enough money his way to be like, listen, I know we haven't been contenders in the past, but we think we're contenders and we think you are going to push us over the top. And maybe that's all true. But I just don't get the. I, I don't sense there is a culture fit here. I just don't. And again, I want to I've said this a couple of times. I don't know DeAndre Hopkins as a person. I haven't. I'm not that well versed on all of his quote unquote controversies. I know he got nabbed for a, a PD suspension. I know that Albert Breer article says that he doesn't practice hard. That's kind of all I need he to also, hear. He also put out a list of like quarterbacks he really wants to play for. And obviously Jared Goff is not on them, but it's clearly he's looking for a place. He's looking for a, like a specific quarterback that he wants to play for as well. As you say, making that work between the cap situations of these teams, that's a different story, but clearly he, he's looking to play with a, quote unquote, elite quarterback for sure. his career as well. And playing in Houston for that long. Can't we'll, we'll do that to you. <laughs> we'll do Can't that to you. Him. Matt um, Schaub, TJ Yates, Brandon yeah. Whedon. Like, yeah, of course, this guy is going to have a list of quarterbacks that he wishes he could play for. <laughs> and I, the other thing too, Jeremy, is I, I understand him seeing the OBJ deal happen and say, hold on a second, that guy right. didn't play last year, yep. right? Like what? Wh- why am I not getting what what I want? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but uh, to to bring it back to to Chris's point, like this is a team that yes, their their Super Bowl window is open now. Like I think I think we can all agree that there's they are now within that window. But it's 
But the one thing that they've been doing too is ensuring that that window is is going to stay open for as long as possible. Now, signing DeAndre Hopkins to a one year fifteen million dollar deal isn't that going break to like slam shut. Yeah, that doesn't their, their window necessarily, but it does. Like Ryan said, it, it might limit their ability to extend some guys. It, it it takes a significant chunk out of that salary cap. And as as much as everyone wants to say the salary cap doesn't matter, guess why no one traded for DeAndre Hopkins? Because his salary cap, cap. <laughs> his salary cap hit. Okay, it matters. You, you, you know what? You know what the bad thing about having salary cap space is? Eventually, it goes away. <laughs> right. Eventually, eventually, you lose it. Going after all the cool things that you can do with your salary cap. Yeah, and and listen, this this team, they might want to spend it in other ways too. They might want to hold on to it for the trade deadline. I, I think mean, that's something. I mean, I know that's that's a little bit long term down the line thinking, but. Maybe that's that's when they make a, a a significant like okay, we we've made all the extensions that we want to make long term. Our cap looks good now. Now that we have a better clue of how close we are this year, maybe that's when we make our move. I think I think in general, it's just it's good to have that flexibility and not necessarily just throw it on a throw it away on a one year guy. You know who also needs to make? Oh, sorry, go on, Ryan. No, I the the, the last point I wanted to underscore because Jeremy brought it up the idea about a culture fit. And reading the Breer piece, I, I hear it and I hear, you know, a player who, you know, doesn't want to practice as much as he probably should be. Um, maybe not even just from the sense that he needs practice, but you need to show that you're part of the team. You know what I mean? Right. I understand how that would go a long way towards him being a culture fit in Detroit. I do think, though, that on the flip side, the piece talks about how when it's game day and the lights come on, DeAndre Hopkins is going to ball, right? Sure. And, and Dan Campbell talked about, you know, player back in Miami, right? Like he knew that he had a substance abuse problem, but he showed up to work and did his job. Maybe, maybe the practice thing is where, Hey, can our, can our locker room, can our locker room absorb that? Right. And, 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 and can, and can you live through that? I, I, I think, I think it could, but the one thing I want to say is the reason why I don't think Hopkins would ultimately be a culture fit is Jamison Williams comes back in six weeks that's a pretty crowded room. And sure. I think the one thing that DeAndre Hopkins definitely wants signing a one-year deal is a lot of targets and a lot of catches and a lot of touchdowns. Is that going to get him a big contract when he's got to share targets with Gibbs and Amon yeah. Rossi Brown and Sam Laporta and all these other mouths to feed? The, the, the only thing I want to add, and then, and then we can, we can move on uh, is that if there's any, any maturity concerns you have with Jamison Williams. And personally, I think there should be at least some bringing in a guy who only shows up on Sundays is not what you want to do, especially in the same position. Yeah. And there's a lot more talk. You talk about, about the wide receiver position as a whole across the NFL in that regard, but you know, who's not going to let us down at least for another couple days, the meat people, the The meat people, this could be a, a closing out, Sale get alert! It in now. Let these people know they got to kick us some more money, some more time to keep reading their ads because I think we've been selling product very well here. We're talking about righteous felon craft jerky, the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. That's right, righteous felon jerky and meat sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities of Allen Park. You could be munching on the same meat stick that Jamison Williams was munching on as he tried to place a three-team parlay on the Alabama Crimson Tide, the Oregon Ducks, and uh, I don't know, 
Uh, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Are they the Yellow Jackets? I don't. Okay. To each two ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has eight grams. Trust me, it was good enough for the Lions, and it's better than the Jameson Williams thing, too. I'm just being glib. It's going to be good enough for you, too, because Righteous Felon is best in, based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, using locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality revolutionary branding and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. And our promo code is still good for you for a couple more days here. I think Jeremy, you said it ends here ends at the end of the month ends at May. So on one, if you're listening 30th, to this on the podcast, this is the last day, get it. Last day, hours the left. 31st, the 31st yes. of, of May. And I am once we're done here, I'm signing off and I'm putting in my order for some of the uh for some of that soul survivor the korean barbecue flavor uh beef jerky because i still haven't had it yet and i've been told it's amazing by our listeners because our listeners are buying this stuff they are which helps us out too and we're going to help you out as well pod 15 gets 15% off your order at checkout remember that ends midnight uh midnight or a minute before midnight strike that reverse it 11:59 p.m. on June 30 uh, on May 31st. God, I'm screwing up. 11:59 <laughs> p.m. May 31st. It is good until then. Use it. At righteousfelon.com POD15. When we come back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, you had something there, Ryan? Use it or lose so, it. You said use it. He said or lose it. Oh, fair enough. We come back in the Pride of Detroit POD cast OTA week recap. Jeremy's taking the floor to talk about standouts and me and Ryan are going to discuss what that means. If anything, we will be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Pride of Detroit POD cast. I apologize to our live audience because this is kind of late. We got a late start here and um, it's now late on the East Coast. But magic of podcasting is you can listen wherever, whenever, wherever you want. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. You don't have to wait for Chris to get his pizza. Or Jeremy to take 30 minutes to read all the... Uh, 
all the Twitch alerts. To thank all of our wonderful subscribers. That's right. All of the wonderful, wonderful hundreds of people who subscribe us. You know where you won't find this kind of infighting? In the Lions locker room. That's right. Well, hmm. I don't know. That's that's not a tease about some infighting. But, Jeremy, this is your idea. You want to structure this in a way as you are the man on the inside. Right. OTAs, storylines. This is your favorite time. Yeah. So, I mean, I I didn't want to regurgitate my observations here and just say everything that I wrote down on paper. If you you want my, you know, thoughts on what happened last Thursday during practice, just go read that article. Um, It's not. I'm not, I'm, there's no point in me just basically saying all that same stuff again. So instead I've curated a list of the top five storylines I took from week one of OTAs. And some of that is mixed in with, with news that, that came a little bit later and to get you guys involved. Uh, I want you guys to kind of offer your opinion on whether this means anything or we are talking about may football. And a lot of times those storylines don't really end up mattering at all. Sometimes they do. So, yeah, sometimes they're too close to the trees for the forest sometimes. Right. Exactly. How dare you use that metaphor in front of me? Um, but but let's yeah, let's jump into it. Um, my first one, and I got a lot of questions about this one because I mentioned him in my breakdown, is Jamar Jefferson. Um, he had a big opportunity on Thursday because David Montgomery went down with the injury earlier. They're still taking Jameer Gibbs very, very slowly. Uh, Craig Reynolds was not practicing as well. So. We got to see a lot of Jamar Jefferson, and I came away pretty darn impressed, actually. Uh, I kind of forgot that this is a guy that, although his RAS score isn't very good, his speed is not bad. He's a guy that, that you know, I saw him turn the corner a couple times and had linebackers and cornerbacks chasing him around the edge. So I came away thinking, okay, maybe I overlooked Jamar Jefferson. I, this is year three for him. Um, I think a lot of us have just kind of pushed him off to the side and assumed he's got nothing that the lion, nothing to offer for the lions. We've, we've seen them add a couple of running backs uh, in the past couple of years. So I guess my question is to you is, is Jamar Jefferson truly in this conversation for RB three and maybe an RB four spot if they keep four, or is this an overreaction to one practice? I think RB four, absolutely. RB three is where it kind of, cause he's competing at RB four against like Mahabad, um, Sorry, I, I forgot. Ibrahim. 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 I just want to make sure. I want to make sure. Um, Ibrahim. But, and I mean, like, Ibrahim is an undrafted rookie. Yep. For three, though, it, it feels like Craig Reynolds always is going to have that edge with some of his, uh, Ryan, with some of his, uh, like, just, I, I don't want to call it special teams play, but he's he's been more of a guy, he's been more of a guy who has been familiar here for a while. But I, on the same, on the flip side, I know in the past, the Lions have seen some flashes out of him and they've tried to make him work and they've clearly held on to him for a while, hoping that they can maybe squeeze something out of him. So I I could maybe see it. I'm curious where you're at, Ryan, because I'm kind of on the fence. I think that this regime will always prioritize having that RB3 spot be a guy who they could trust to carry the rock 12, 13 times in a game in case their top guy goes down. I think they want somebody who is a dependable running back. RB4 is where Justin Jackson, like, are you a special teamer? Can you catch the ball? Do you do you provide that kind of threat? If you can run the ball at all, great. You'll probably rarely do it. But 
this is where I need to just, I need to see more from Jamar Jefferson. Like, I can't tell if this is an overreaction or not, because again, like, like you said, this is year three, but how, how much Jamar Jefferson have we really gotten? In, you not know, a lot and, because of injury. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think just being, you know, at the bottom of the, the depth chart, he has an opportunity though. Like, I think that there is an opportunity for him. I'd be surprised if it's RB three, but if he shows he can do it as a runner, they'll love him. And I, I think they'd be happy to, to keep him. They drafted him for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And and to be clear too, the Lions still haven't re-signed Justin Jackson yet. He's still not on the roster. At this point, there's no reason to suggest he will be at this point, yeah. right? I mean, no, I think some, like I think some fan, yeah, but I know Ryan, you mentioned Justin Jackson. I just wanted to clarify that. I just don't think that like, yeah, I don't think he's back for this. So that, I mean, that helps Jefferson's uh, pace a little bit more too. Yeah. I, to me, I, I think he's very much in the conversation. And and the only reason is, yeah, we haven't seen anything out of Jamar, but what have we seen out of anyone else? Like Craig Reynolds is the only depth running back that we know literally anything about in terms of how they can use him at the NFL level. Like we're talking about Greg Bell, a guy that we think they, they really liked last year, but didn't get past the first week of training camp without getting injured. And then you got Mohamed Ibrahim, who's, who's very much a, a question in, in how he'll with a massive to the history level. with a massive injury in his history. Right. Too. Right. So I, I think Jamar is in the conversation. Um, definitely has work to do from his past two years, but he has hung around like there's that's that's worth something, too. Right. Because he had that, that one game where he is flashing very well in that one game. And that same game, he, he got that just in that injury. And that just kind of is throwing everything off. All right. I'm going to jump to some quarterback talk and we're not going to like, I saw some weird things circulating today about Jared Goff, not looking good at one OTA practice. Cause he overthrew like two passes. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to overanalyze. Yeah. Spoiler alert, that's how he looks. That's how he looks every summer. <laughs> yeah, He's got to get into like, rhythm. Yeah. Shake off rust. Relax. Yeah. Um, but Nate Sudfeld, backup quarterback, a guy who I've been saying for the past month, Ryan, looking at you, give the man a chance. All right. I know you love Teddy Bridgewater. Give the man a chance. And listen, was it a perfect practice from Nate Sudfeld? No, he didn't. He threw an interception. He threw, I think, the only interception I saw all practice. Um, but he looked competent to me. He looked like he has a, a much better arm than I thought through a, a dime to Jamison Williams that Williams promptly dropped. And in general, just kind of looked like he had command and a guy is like, I'd be okay having as a backup quarterback. So I definitely want to throw this one to Ryan first, because he has expressed the most concern about having Nate Sudfield as quarterback too. Are you buying it all that Nate Sudfeld has, has started to turn the corner and, and convince Lions fans that he is a capable backup? No, it's May, but I'm willing to give him training camp. Like, I feel like I'm coming to just the realization that I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to happen. And the only thing, the, the last thing that I'll say about it is that whereas the discussion that we just had about who RB three might be, or if the team will keep an RB four, it's, it, it, it's fine going into the NFL season with that being an unknown commodity. I have a little bit more trepidation with not really knowing who quarterback two is. That's fair. Uh, Chris, I, I have, I have gotten a reputation of hyping up the Lions backup quarterbacks too much in the off season. Yeah. Is this, is this another instance of that? I, well, 
I'm more willing to buy it this year just because this this conversation becomes 100% moot once Hendon Hooker comes back. That's the key difference this year. Like whoever, whatever Hendon Hooker is, I guarantee you that once he is healthy, he's a better QB two than Nate Sudfeld. And I don't think it's even close at that point. That's a good point. I, I, the question I is can, how long are they going to have to carry Nate Sudfeld? Right. Like how long is he going to be that dude? Yeah. And they've made it, they've made it a little easier to carry three quarterbacks this year. Uh, so like Sudfeld could have a spot on this roster continuing past hookers return. Yeah. I think that is something they could, they could still do, but I think at that, like I, I just, I, I think he's a legitimate option as far as just short term. But if he, if let's put it this way, if, if Nate Sudfeld has to be that option short term, there's bigger problems for the, for the, like there's always problems when you're going past QB one, but I think if we're going past QB one while Nate Sudfeld is still on the roster, that's bad. Because that's still at the end of the day, no matter how much he, he improves, it's still Nate Sudfeld. So I guess mine is like a it, it is a uh is a conditional yes, this is fine answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean with me it's just like you can't really truly evaluate quarterback play until the bolts are flying, until like there's actually a pass rush happening mm-hmm. until you've got, you know, maybe not ideal game situations. So preseason is obviously going to be very telling for someone like Nate Sudfield, but it's okay to be promised by his start here, right? Like, I don't think anyone's like, I mean, he's doing the things he should be doing, right? We're, we're talking about no pass rush. We're talking about a lot of sevens on sevens. You should be dominating those. And, and right. so far pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right, next one. Maybe maybe the most significant uh, depth chart revelation from Thursday's practice. Uh, Derek Barnes, first team reps at the Will linebacker spot next to Alex Anzalone at the mic. The second team is Jack Campbell at the mic and uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez did get injured and was replaced by Jalen Reeves-Maben at the Will. But uh, let's talk about Derek Barnes. Is Is there a chance, do you think, Maybe not that Derek Barnes is a starter, because I think we all, probably all agree. Maybe one of you don't, doesn't, but uh, Jack Campbell and Alex Anzalone are probably the starters. But has Derek Barnes worked his way up to potentially being the third guy? Has he jumped Malcolm Rodriguez? And with that, I will throw out this Alex Anzalone quote that I, because I asked him, like, hey, Barnes is starting next to you. Like, have you seen a lot of growth from him? He says, quote, He's put in the work to really study the game and grow from an off-the-ball defender to a linebacker in the NFL. It's way different. Yeah, it's honestly remarkable how far he's come. So, Ryan, are you buying that now Derek Barnes is linebacker three on this team? I would love it if Derek Barnes was linebacker three on this team because it speaks to what the Lions do. They reward the players that put in the work and they put in the time. And I don't think they would have any problem putting Derek Barnes above Malcolm Rodriguez on the depth chart if they thought he was the better player. And yeah, Malcolm was good for especially what you got in return of investment on a guy who is a sixth round pick. Is it bad that it took a couple of years for a fourth round pick to develop? Absolutely not. Like if that happens to be the case, it's a, it's a feather in the cap of Brad Holmes. It's it's a feather in the cap of the coaching staff. It's yeah. a it's a feather in the cap of Kelvin Shepard, a, a young we, linebacker coach. We stand for Kelvin Shepard here. <laughs> Absolutely. 
absolutely. Like that, that's a guy who I think would be like an underrated, like, Hey, the lions turn things around this year. He could be a DC candidate, but yeah, the, the, the barn stuff, like I'm, I would love it. And I hope other people would embrace it too. And not think of it as all like Malcolm's getting buried. No, Derek's winning the job. if, If the, if this is the case. I've said this before, like Malcolm had a very good, I feel like we do this all the time with certain players where we see that flash in preseason slash early season. And then we sit around and wait for it. I'm not saying that Rodriguez is ever going to become that Rodrigo is ever going to become that never going to become that guy. But I think to what you're saying, Ryan, I think fans have seen that flash and take any step and take any person who leapfrogs that player as a sign of disrespect to that player, as a sign the Lions don't know what they're doing, that that flash is what is real. And I think the Lions, as you said, Rodriguez is, is, is a late rounder, and he's going to need the time to develop down the road. And he had that flash, but he, you know, other guys are, have are probably developed along a little bit further, and that's what Derek Barnes is. And like, yeah, I'll buy it as QB3. I'll buy it as QB three. I'm 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 a little skeptical at this point if we're going to see that kind of Rodrigo hype again. I I, I think it's okay to say that Malcolm Rodriguez was more linebacker ready than Derek Barnes was last year, and the reason for that is because he's played linebacker his entire career, and Derek Barnes was still developing, right? And that's that's what the Anzalone quote is talking about, like it is way different to play as an edge defender to move to then a middle linebacker. That is not an easy thing to do. And if it's starting to click in year three, that's totally fine. Right. Yeah. I I, I know we, uh, some people might get a little impatient. They think you, you better show signs of, of being better at the end of year one or year one to year two is the biggest jump. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. I just want to quickly clarify because I think I made my Q and my L sound way too <laughs> close sure together. I, was I, I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure why you were making that face. And now Chad <laughs> is reminding me. Yes, I meant to, I, I did mean linebacker. I just brain. Uh, I, I want to say one last unpopular thing about Malcolm Rodriguez that maybe, I don't know, call me a Bears fan, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, with Malcolm, his size limitations are going to limit what he can do in sure. the NFL, right? Like yeah. there, there's a lot of truth to, Maybe Malcolm is just like, he is developed. He's tapped out. Like technique is only going to get you so far with your athletic limitations. And look, I love Rodrigo. He's awesome. He He's a great player to have on your football team because what does he do beyond playing defense? Well, Jeremy. Probably can so, play special teams, right? I, I mean, he made some incredible plays on special yeah. teams last year where he came yeah. down on, in, in punt coverage and stuff and blew up plays on, on, you know, kick, you know, kickoff. That's awesome. Everybody wants to root for that guy. I he, get it. He, he can be the first one next to the guy that's fair catching the kickoff now. Oh, God. You want to start that? Don't do that. Don't do that. People he don't wants, want that. He no, loves, you do, he's he's you do, dancing on that grave. Like, it's funny because I almost like when I think of Rodriguez, I, I think he can be a very good special teamer. And the guy that immediately comes to mind is Zach Follett, unfortunately. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's you could definitely see him as a borderline elite special teamer who we know can step in and play some, you know, linebacker too. Like he can be a non-liability, you know, maybe, maybe he can't be this all-star guy. Maybe he can't be the, the, the. 
And by the way, we're not saying it's we're not saying it's over for Rodrigo. I just think like the skepticism, like I I think we do need to pull back from Rodrigo was the best thing ever. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm with Ryan. Like there there definitely is a cap to how much he can do at, at, at just his body frame. Like that's there's nothing you can do about that. That's not to say he can't develop and get better. Or that he can't overcome those things. Sure. But I, I think he's got he's got the toughest hill to climb at this point. And so yeah, I think I think both of you are on it. Like I think this Derek Barnes development is not insignificant. So mm-hmm. uh it'll be something we continue to follow. Uh all right, now we move to the most cliche offseason story here. Oh no. The best shape of his life, question mark. Uh Ali McNeil on the uh uh, Tim 20 man podcast recently said that his body weight is down 12%. Uh, he's saying he's trying to slim down uh, something he took on his own to do to quote unquote, be a, a better pass rusher in this league. He wants to develop his pass rush skills. He's been doing yoga. He cut out red, red meat. He's down 12% body fat guys. Is this just another He's in the best shape of his life story, or is this a significant turning point in Aleem McNeil's career? And year three is going to break out. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this is, I, I'm brushing this off just because you use the uh, the cliche. But in truth, like I, I think there's more competition than ever at the defensive tackle position for the Detroit Lions, right? Like bringing in Broderick Martin, and we've had some people who have. Roderick Martin remains a very big question mark on exactly what he can do. The emergence of bugs. And like, those are, those are different guys for that position. And I don't know if someone like Anzarike can really push him, but I feel like there's going to be another guy that comes into that conversation. I think McNeil, if he can do better at the pass rush, that's great, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I buy this as the marker of, all right, this is where he's going to become a pass rush machine. It's not going to be because of best shape of his life. I think Ali McNeil is seeing an opportunity to improve his game and get a bag for himself. You know how you make money in this league? You either throw touchdowns or you tackle quarterbacks. And that's what Ali McNeil can do. I think he recognizes the potential he has to have more games like that game he had against the Giants, right? where he can just absolutely game wreck. I mean, count those guys on your hands in the league, right? Like it's the Chris Jones, it's the Aaron Donald, it's everybody wants Quinn and Williams. Aline McNeil sees an opportunity for himself. And I think that if he, I don't know, like if there was one way he was going to become a more productive pass rusher, I think it was probably getting a little thinner. Yeah. Listen, I'm buying hook, line, and sinker. Call me a sucker, but this isn't this isn't like a coming back from injury. I feel so much better now type of thing. This is a guy who is still very much in his developmental prime third year in the NFL. And I think I've said this a couple of times on this podcast. When that players only meeting happened last year, he was one of the biggest beneficiaries of it from from what I understand. Like he is that was the wake up call he needed a year and a half into his career of being like, listen, we're doing something here in Detroit and you're either with us or against us. If you're not hauling ass every single day to get better, then you're not with us. And he took that as a wake up call. And we did see a turnaround in the second half of the season. Yet I believe 
in the second half of the season, he had 20 quarterback pressures to 10 in the first half. Granted, 10 of those came in one game against the Giants, but still, uh, you take those 10 away, it's still an improvement. So Mm -hmm. to me, I'm buying it. It, It's not just a physical change. It's a mental change. Um, And, and, and yeah, like, is the drop in body fat itself going to result in suddenly uh, an eight, nine sack season for a Lee McNeil? Probably not, but it's, it's all part of a bigger picture of a guy who is transforming his life to the game of football. And listen, I I think we all expected the Aleem McNeil breakout year to be last year. I think it's this year. I think now he understands where this team is going. He has the, the, the right people around him in terms of both players on the football field and dogs, right? That's something he mentioned in the tip Tim 20 man podcast. They, they, they have all these dogs in the secondary and and he's feeding off that intensity, that trash talking. I think that's going to, it's a physical transformation. It's a mental transformation. I think this is going to be a huge year for Lee McNeil. I do. All right. Last one. Calvin Johnson back in the fold shows up at OTAs on Wednesday. Dan Campbell goes off about how much he respects uh, Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson goes off about how much he respects Dan Campbell. Are you guys buying at all that this matters? We've, we've been dying for seven years to say, Calvin, come talk to our wide receivers, come make them better football players, come make them better human beings. Now he's in the fold. You got you got an impressionable young wide receiver. A couple of them. Does this help? I'm going to disappoint some fans and then piss off some other ones here. Um, it doesn't help anything in that it's going to make them better receivers. Just much like how coaches do not magically become better coaches by standing next to Bill Belichick. Receivers don't become magical just because they are talking to Calvin Johnson. On the other hand, what this is good for is improving the culture around the Detroit Lions. This has always been the fly in the soup of the Detroit Lions. As much as they're talking about culture and talking about players, it's always been, hey, there's this outstanding problem in that Calvin Johnson is kind of holding a grudge against this team because of some million dollars the team clawed back. And the president who oversaw that clawing back is still working for the Detroit Lions. Well, it seems like that's overcome at some point and Calvin Johnson's back in the fold and talking very well. The people I want to piss off is that I want to tell the, the fans who are trying to just hem and haw who I have seen talking about this doesn't matter at all. He quit on the team. You can shut the hell up. You can shut the hell up because you're not Lions fans. I'll go ahead and say that because your opinion is crap. Your opinion is crap. Your belief that the only thing that matters is the team is crap. And Calvin Johnson is a Detroit Lion. I'm happy to see him back. I think it helps for the culture because it's always cool when a culture can bring in a Hall of Famer and and show people, hey, yeah, this man played for the Detroit Lions. This isn't just some sad sack organization. This team has legitimate stars in its past. And it's great overall for the Detroit Lions. This hatchet seems to be fully buried at this point. I, I don't know what else is behind there on negotiations about the money or whatever, Jeremy, but like the fact that he's back, and talking at like OTAs is great. I don't think much about like how much he gushes about Dan Campbell or how much Dan Campbell gushes about him because they played together. Players that played together saw each other as being special. 
Calvin Johnson, the special there is immediate to Dan Campbell for Calvin Johnson. Look at Dan Campbell. I'm sure he just appreciated how much that guy fought hook and claw. Dan Campbell didn't really see too much of the 2008 season, but understood probably Campbell's presence in the locker room and everything else. I'm not going to put too much stock into that other than again, it helps out the idea of the, and when I say culture, I mean the internal culture, not the culture we see or, or care about for the fans, the culture of players interacting with other players and alumni. The, the, the one quote that I found interesting, Ryan, uh, Dan Campbell talking about Calvin Johnson and the importance of him being around is that he wishes that the players could see what kind of teammate he was in terms of his work ethic, in terms of his relationships with his teammates, in terms of how much, how important it was to Calvin Johnson to perform, to not disappoint his teammates. Do you think that is something that, that can be transferred in any sort of way? Do you think that is a lesson that, that Calvin Johnson can impart to, you know, if you have concerns about Jameson Williams, is that something that he can help along in any sort of way? Or is, is this just kind of like, like Chris said, maybe more a ceremonial thing that, that just makes the organization look better. I think it matters with what regularity he's there. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's, if it's just like uh here's a Detroit lions legend, Calvin Johnson at OTAs and then you don't see him again until you know whatever week Monday night football against the Raiders and it's right. like okay like what what real kind of tangible impact can you have on these guys but I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that has always kind of stood out to me is the one the one I guess fly in my ointment has been seeing Calvin Johnson in that Raiders gear back when there was a problem mm-hmm I think that sucked more in hindsight than I gave it credit for in the moment. Like I understood people's frustrations because it was just on the heels of him retiring early. Yeah. And I kind of felt part of me was a little bit selfish too. Cause I was like, man, that sucks. Like twice in this franchise's history, they've had players of Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders retiring early because maybe they just can't deal with losing anymore. And it felt it, it, I mean, it sucked to see him wearing like Raiders gear, yeah. you know, like within a year of him not being a Detroit lion. And, and that sucked the optics matter. And, and I know that's what Chris is kind of alluding to. Like, you know, you want to change the culture. You want to send the message to people. Calvin Johnson's at OTAs. Great. Like they're, they're taking care of their own ultimately. And that's the most important thing. I think that any, any player can see, yeah. Hey, hopefully they can recognize that they saw this franchise made a mistake and that they're willing to correct that mistake. It's, it's the, it's the same blueprint now that we've had with Barry Sanders. It took Barry Sanders a while. Welcome back to the organization comes around for a lot of things, represents him, even ambassador for the lions. I don't know what Calvin Johnson's future is, but it's just good that like, he's at least talking to the team again, showing up at functions like that does matter that maybe, maybe we can, we as fans can be cynical and eye roll about it, but I think to players, it does matter. It's like, Oh wow. Cool. This isn't because players here all the time, the lions are a loser organization like that, that like plenty of former players, many who didn't ever played for Detroit will say that. And it's important to show them that like, look, there's still history here. There's still some levels of personal greatness here. Calvin Johnson represents that. Yeah. And in in terms of how much he can actually help the players, 
I think one important thing to keep in mind is a lot of that depends on the player. Like you, it's, it's as old, like you can, you can lead a horse to water, right? But you can't make him drink. Like you can lead a horse. You can lead a, a young impressionable wide receiver to Calvin Johnson, but you can't make him learn a lesson from him. Uh, and, and I'm just listen, not sure what that lesson is. What would he be even teaching? About? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's work ethic. Maybe it's work. I mean, it's a lot of things, right? It's, it's how to survive in a NFL season. It's I how just... to withstand injuries because we all know Calvin Johnson fought through a hell of a lot of those. It's, it's how to manage your body. It's how to, I don't know, put in, put in work after F work ethic in order to get to greatness. I, I would just, love him I... to, to spend weeks trailing Jameson Williams. I don't know if Jameson Williams would want that or would allow that. I'm not saying he would or wouldn't. I don't know. Um, but it, I, I do think he has valuable knowledge that he can pass along. But but like Ryan said, we don't know how in he is. If he's just making a, a brief appearance and, and taking some getting some photos taken of him and and giving Dan Campbell a hug every month, I don't know if that's gonna do that much. If he's I don't know, sitting in on film one day, if he's breaking down how he runs routes a little bit, like all that would really, really matter. If he's if he's a a mentor of types to Jameson Williams. That matters. We just don't know what sort of investment he he certainly has on the team yet. And and he, I think he told the Detroit News last week, like not everything is quite fixed yet, but we're working towards it. And that's something that's just the two that's sides good. hadn't been doing yeah. yet. Yeah, I just I just think this is an after school special. Ultimately, Maybe. as far as impact on the team, but it's a, yeah. still a good one to have. Yeah, that's it. Notebooks open, uh, dusted. We're good. All right. I think it's time for us to get on out of here. Uh, let it, We have a first bite coming your way this week. Uh, not too many other podcasts pass that until POD cast. I don't think we have a mailbag this week, Jeremy. Oh, no, we do. Oh, we well, have a mailbag. We're doubling down recording on our, on Wednesday. We'll, we'll yep. release the mailbag first, and then the uh, first bite on Broderick Martin will come later in the week. Yep, we'll do both of those. Those will be on your feed, and we'll be back on Monday for POD cast. Thank you guys, as always, Ryan at Ryan underscore POD, Jeremy at Detroit on Lion, and myself, who's been slurring some words every now and then because of pizza. Uh, I am at Chris Perfett on Twitter. And as always, we'll see you star side. Pride to Detroit podcast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. It's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. That's right. Righteous Felon Jerky and meat sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park. Each two ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein and each stick has eight grams of protein. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions, it's going to be good enough for you too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 
and they use locally sourced all-natural black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offerings. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. That's promo code POD15 at RighteousFelon.com.